Amen. We're going to hear from God's Word, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. So feel free to whip out your physical Bible or your digital Bible. And let's prepare to hear the Word of the Lord. We believe at Ankar that when we hear the Bible read, we hear God speaking to us, His authoritative Word, wishing to, to transform us and renew us. It's not just like reading any other book, but it's a powerful word, God's word. So let me read from Matthew 19, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciple said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and and wife, it is better not to marry. Thanks, Aaron. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I want to extend another welcome, especially if this is your first Sunday. I have the pleasure and privilege of pastoring this young church plant. If you want to know what we're about, we're about finding home in Jesus. That, that's our heartbeat. That's our vision. We want everyone here, wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, to find home, to find rest. I don't know what comes to mind when you say the word home. When I walked into my parents' home, two things come to mind. The smell of sesame oil and the smell of garlic fused together. My mom's Korean. The house just smelled of sesame oil and garlic and it just is a, is a holy aroma to me and I, my, my cortisol levels would drop. I would, I would be calmer and rest. And we just really hope that as you come into church, as you come into your gospel communities midweek, that this, uh, this is a place of home and rest. As Aaron read the Bible this morning, you are walking into a series on relationships. So we're going to be talk, we've already talked about friendship. Last week we looked at singleness, and this week we're looking at marriage. Marriage, big topic, important topic. Before I jump into the sermon, I just want to reference one very important thing, especially for those of you that are regular. Why no worship today? Anyone notice that? Normally we have the whole band up here. Normally we start with worship. Anchor Northern Beaches is a charismatic church. We love expressive, big worship, and we don't have it today. It's not a big theological or philosophical shift. We're not suddenly becoming anti-worship. Um, something happened this week. We just we didn't have the manpower. Um, and Aaron, who leads our worship team, 
we, me and him were talking back and forth and we're like, oh, sh- do we hustle and try and get someone in? And we decided to give the worship and the sound team just a week off. And for a few reasons, I think firstly, just to respect the margin and bandwidth of the worship and sound team. They get here at 8 a.m. It is hard work and they do it joyfully, um, but it is hard work. And we just want to, we have a church that we really want to honor people's margins. I have a conviction that God's will often comes disguised in our margins. And as we, as we meet our limits, as we get tired and we reach the limits of our body or of a church, we actually need to listen to God's will for us. Uh, so that, that's why. Uh, Aaron, I just want to honor as well, worship sound team, Aaron is so protective of you. He really is. And it's actually great to have ladies in our church. We've come out of a recent era where, you know, church leaders are dictators and we flog people to the bone about growth metrics that isn't really kingdom metrics. So Aaron really cares and protects for you guys. Um, so I just want you guys to to hear that. And also to say, just to accentuate, we have a great serving culture here. You know, being part of a family is sacrificially serving one another. And so I think part of belonging is serving. So if you're on the fringes or looking to kind of take that next step in, if, or and if you've got like kind of dormant gifts of worship, and I hear some of you guys singing in worship, and if you've got a heart for worship, please come and chat with Aaron. So let's talk about marriage. Marriage. I wonder where, what your vision of marriage is growing up, what examples of marriage you had growing up, even as I say the word marriage, what emotions come to mind. I, uh, when I was younger, I realized pop culture was honestly the most formative place for marriage for me, what I looked, what a man and wife was. Uh, I watched a lot of television when I was younger and kind of funny, but I think, you know what my main model of marriage was growing up? It's gonna come on the screen. Homer and Marge Simpson. You know, Homer would be this charming but neglectful husband and father. And Marge often projected, ah, Homer, you know, just this like, mm, just this wet blanket, the ball and chain. And we laugh, and when I was 10 years old, it was funny. But now as a husband myself, I'm like, ah, what has subconsciously been rubbed off on me about what a husband and wife should be. Another pop culture reference that was actually a positive one for me. Who knows who these two people are? Showing about what you watch television around 2003, 2007, TV, pop culture phenomenon, the OC. If it's on stand, you should go back and watch it. It still holds up. This is, this is Sandy and Kirsten Cohen. They were the, the central married couple on that TV show. And they were actually a really positive example for me. I saw how they did conflict resolution and their, their lavish and, you know, sometimes rich lifestyle. They both worked hard, loved their kids. Anyway, that was a really positive example for me. And without knowing, I actually realized that the majority of my narratives and my vision for marriage was from pop culture. So we're just going to hit pause here. I don't often do this in the sermon, but, you know, no worship, bit of a different gathering. I want you guys to interact with each other just for three minutes. You know, we can get you come to church. If you don't know the person next to you, say good day to them. I just would love for you guys to turn around and, and chat and say, what examples of marriage did you have growing up? Some of you naturally would, if you had healthy parents, maybe harder parents. Maybe your example was your your own parents' marriage. Um, maybe you had older siblings. Maybe like me, you were, you know, brainwashed with pop culture. Why don't you turn to each other? Novels. 
Jane Austen. Honestly, that's what romance and marriage should be like. So just turn to one another. Three minutes, we'll come back together. What examples of marriage did you have growing up? What was your vision of marriage growing up? Alrighty. 20 more seconds, we'll come back together. Okay. I trust you guys found that enlightening, perhaps good parents, hard parents pop culture. Anyone have anything outside of like pop culture, TV, novels and your own parents? Something a bit interesting? Go Jess, what was it? Ha 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 ha. That wasn't a hand up. Anyone? Any interesting examples? You guys aren't used to the call and response in church. This is, this is a safe place. Oh, yeah, friends, parents. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Any other interesting ones, funny ones? Go, Tim Brookman. You're giving me good eye contact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you guys discuss? Okay. Oh, brother, we should start a counseling thing for the, the Homer Simpson immature husbands. I think as I've reflected, the depiction of an unhappy marriage is actually ingrained in Western culture. 
It's ingrained in Western culture. Nagging wife jokes are a regular theme in stand-up comedy. Jerry Seinfeld famously compared married men to game show losers. You know, all this expectation, but a lot of disappointment. And I think ultimately what's important and pertinent for today is I've come to realize that my vision of marriage was not based on Jesus' vision and not based on God's good and original design. I think it was this cocktail of Hollywood and the sexual revolution and Western individualism, you know, this idea that you know, things are supposed to be romantic and marriage is about my own pleasure and this person helping me with the project of my own goals and you know, the sexual revolution, they're there. the function of this is for them to serve me. So today we need a radical, we need a radical overhaul of our vision of marriage. We need a radical overhaul. We need to come to Jesus' feet and desperately ask, give us a more compelling and beautiful vision of marriage. We need it. We need it more than ever. Just for a bit of uh, buffer as we start, for the time and scope of this sermon, we're going to touch on divorce. Naturally, the, the topic of marriage will touch on divorce, but we won't go into it in detail. But I would love nothing more than to have a coffee with you. If you have been divorced, if you are thinking about divorce, if you're a child of divorce, I would love to just sit and listen to your story and just offer you Jesus and the warm balm that he is. If any of you in here are single and you're like, ah, oh, here comes the marriage sermon, um, let's whip out our phone and just scroll for the next 30 minutes. Um, let me just encourage you, there is no better time to reckon with Jesus' teachings, whether, whether you are convicted that you are going to be single or if you do have a longing to be married. I think it's a great season to, to think about what Jesus teaches about marriage. And most importantly, I want to say, if you're in a low point in your marriage today, if you walk in here struggling in your marriage, if you walk in here and this topic just brings up a lot of wounds, uh, I just want to say that we love you and our love for you is a fraction of God's love for you. It's a fraction. So just know that you're loved and just as we go into Jesus' teaching, we go in with the covering and protection of his covenant love for us. That's how we enter. That's how we enter. And I want to acknowledge, even for myself, this first sermon I've ever done on marriage. I feel far too young and early in my marriage for this sermon, but I take it seriously. This is my calling and responsibility to open God's word about marriage. So listen in as I preach to myself this morning. So let's jump in to Matthew 19. So many places I could have gone, you know, Ephesians 5, Genesis 1, but we're going to really camp in, in Matthew 19. The Bible talks about marriage all over the shop. So let's jump in. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and he went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him. He healed him there. And some Pharisees, here we, here we go, scene one, it pops off. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. So that's the posture of their heart. They're wanting to test. This is always a, this is always a check for our, our heart. If we have the heart of a disciple a soft heart versus the heart of a Pharisee that's harder. We're always wanting to test Jesus. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? It's a really important phrasing we're going to talk about. Two pieces of backstory and context that's going to color this whole interaction. The Pharisees 
why they're trying to test Jesus. They're referring to this raging debate in first century Israel about how to interpret a very cryptic Old Testament command about divorce. Super cryptic. So remember for us, we've got Matthew. We have the Gospels. This context, they don't have Matthew. And it's happening live. They have, they have the Torah. They have the Old Testament as Scripture. So they're actually referring, next slide, Juzzy, this Deuteronomy text, Deuteronomy 24, 1 to 3. And notice some of this language here. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, so that's what's saying that that's what grounds of divorce is. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. Or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. Please jump back to the previous slide, Juzzy. What the Pharisees are trying to to test Jesus about is this line here. The reasons for divorce is something indecent about her. Now, a lot can be said about this passage. And naturally, our modern egalitarian sensibilities find it offensive. Do you know what? Actually, this is way ahead of its time. This is way ahead of its time. There's actually nothing like it in the ancient world. And this original law is actually... The purpose was to actually protect women. It was to protect women in a patriarchal culture where divorce was easy. You could sadly throw a woman out on the street for this, something indecent about her. And so by Jesus' day, the debate was over how to interpret that line if he finds something indecent. Now, what exactly does Scripture mean by something indecent? This is very vague. And we have two, two schools of thought here. The first, more conservative school of thought, is something indecent is just referring to adultery and nothing else. You know, you can only divorce your spouse if they cheat on you and rupturing that one flesh union. But the more progressive viewpoint was that, that it's said for any and every reason. So if we go to the next slide there in Matthew 19, you see here, this is now, it's been reinterpreted by the Pharisees, by the scholars now. It's saying for any and every reasons. And scholars, super interesting, they even found this turn of phrase in divorce certificates in the first century. They're using this for any and every reason. It feels so broad, right? So broad grounds for divorce, for any and every reason, for things that are indecent. And now divorce was just as common back then as it is now in our secular culture. Isn't that interesting? But unlike today, divorce was not a two-way street. And you notice, I'm sure you picked up the emphasis of a man divorcing his wife. And it was this, you know, oppressive patriarchal culture. And it was much harder for a woman to divorce a man than for a man to divorce a woman. Now, this is important because what the Pharisees are trying to do when they're trying to trick Jesus, the Pharisees, they're asking a question not in pursuit of truth, they're actually wanting to shame and trick Jesus in front of the crowds. So you picture this context. He's teaching in front of the crowds, and they're wanting him to set him up for failure. It's lose-lose for Jesus. That's what they're hoping to do. They're hoping that he'll either lose the progressive crowd that wants an easy divorce, any and every reason, and he's going to lose the traditional religious crowd 
And now notice what Jesus says next. It's just classic, masterful Jesus. Classic. How often the Pharisees come up trying to trick him, and then the Pharisees are like, ooh, let him cook here. He's going to flip it. He's going to flip it. So we watch it. Jesus responds, haven't you read that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus responds by going, hey, there's something even before Deuteronomy, before the law. He goes all the way back to Genesis. It's what theologians call creational intent, meaning the creator, if there is a creator, the creator had a vision and a design for human flourishing. And I want to slow down here because this, this, what Jesus is doing here is actually so powerful. He's reshaping the narrative. He's actually reverse engineering. This is what he does. He's saying, the Pharisees are saying, this is what the law means. And the Pharisees are doing it with a heart for often personal gain and for power. And Jesus comes and he flips it and says, no, that's not the economy of the kingdom. And he's trying to show them what God's heart and design is. You guys are aware of how hot this topic is. Am I right? I know Christians sometimes don't listen to the news, but I feel like you guys all have your finger on the pulse. Marriage is a hot topic. Marriage, sexuality, gender is a dominant ethical debate of our day. But what I want to slow down here is to actually think, before you can ask, is this behavior, is this relationship, is this sexuality right or wrong, we need to first step back and ask, what is a human being? What is human sexuality? What, what, is, what is marriage for? What is, the, what is the function and purpose of a human? That, that's what Jesus is going here. Let's, he's like, no, 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 you're missing Deuteronomy. Let's go right back to the start. And I think in the culture wars of human sexuality, and it's often broadly, real broad strokes here, between those who hold to a traditional view, and it's not just Christians, but all over the world, and those who hold to a more secular, progressive view, which is all too common in Sydney. And there's this constant yelling back and forth. You're a bigot. You don't understand. And Jesus is showing us something profound here. Profound. And I think both sides of the conversation are coming with a very different set of assumptions about what a human being is. A very different set of assumptions about what a human being is. That's actually the starting point. What is our assumption what is the design of a human being? Now, option one I see as if you are a secular Darwinian materialist and you follow the logic of that to its conclusion, then life at best is a glorious accident and there's no creator, therefore there's no creational intent, there's just survival of the fittest and evolutionary blind chance. And I think modern culture is added to that, survival of the fittest and pleasure. That's what we drive for, those two things. We want hustle and we want experience. We hustle so we can experience. You see it in northern beaches. We hustle Monday to Friday so we can have pleasure Saturday and Sunday. That's the kind of human story of the current worldview. Humans are just animals 
with an extra large pre prefrontal cortex to reason. Sex is just biological coupling for the propagation of our, quote, species. And marriage, even gender itself, is a social construct that we evolved into early on to protect women and children from the saber-toothed tiger. Marriage and sex no longer serve any purpose, really, since we have survival now. They no, no longer serve a purpose beyond pleasure in a world without meaning or design from a god. Hedonism and pleasure become the dominant religion. And it is a religion, it's a, it's a worldview. It's an interpretation of the data points of science and history and the human experience. And in that worldview, the idea of marriage as a covenant, which we're going to unpack here, what the Bible teaches, the idea of a covenant for life between one, one man and one woman, that idea is nonsensical. Not only that, but in a culture where we live in where people think the greatest good in life is to feel happy, we no longer ask the question, how do I become good? But how do I become happy? That's the main question that I put the lens through. How, how am I going to become happy? And people think the path to a happy life is freedom, as defined or redefined as the ability to do whatever the heck you want. And the greatest evil in that kind of ethical calculus is any kind of restraint as your freedom. Any restraint on our freedom. And so if that is the dominant secular worldview on our anthropology, what a human is, you see the logical conclusions that we can make about marriage in that framework and how easy divorce can come along. But Jesus is presenting this other vision. What Jesus is saying is, what if there is a creator and there is creational intent and we're not just animals, but we're actually image bearers of God? And created out of a beautiful mind to image the Trinitarian community of self-giving love to others. And if love is by definition a form of constraint, and if we are created male and female as engendered bodies, and if marriage was designed by God himself to set us free over a lifetime from, and I stole this from John Marcoma, he says, our egoic operating system. I know it's big, our egoic operating system that just projects self. Projects self to set us free from that, where everything is about survival and pleasure. I want, I need. And what if, in order to form us through the constraints of a lifelong covenant, into people who image the agape, self-giving love of God? And if sexuality... Listen, listen, if sexuality is more than just play for grown-ups, it's actually the fusion of two souls and it's the regular renewal of life. The idea of marriage and sex and gender that we find in Genesis all the way through to Jesus, for me, not only is sensical, sensical but it's stunning. It's stunning and it's beautiful. Not only I see here is Jesus' view of marriage is a far cry from the culture of our day. And it sounds traditional to us, but it's actually radical for them. It was just at odds with the culture of the first century Israel as it is for us. And it calls into question both the secular, progressive view of relationships and marriage, survival, hedonism, pleasure. And it also challenges the traditional view of marriage, both in their day 
and now that is often patriarchal and not egalitarian at all. And I just want to, I want to challenge our hearts. So often I've been reflecting how much those of us that have been Christians so long, we know the Bible and we, we, we hear Jesus' voice and we follow his way. And often we can know something about the way of the kingdom, but our hearts and our imaginations aren't one to it. And our imaginations are one so easily to visions in Hollywood or other examples. And we see that and we default into that. But what if, what if we became a people that not just read this, but our imagination and our joy actually saw the Christian worldview of marriage as beautiful and stunning? Now, naturally, we, we zoom back in. The Pharisees, they're fired up. They're just getting started. So Matthew 19.7, we see here, the Pharisees are going to follow up with a question. Why then, the Pharisees asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and sending her away? Meaning, if Genesis 1 and 2, there is creational intent and there is a God's design for marriage, what's Deuteronomy 24 doing in the Bible? You know, what, what, what's it there for? You see their logic. The Pharisees are actually, I respect, they've always got high IQ. They're, they're smart. They use that IQ to always just, you know, poke holes. They're very cynical. And again, Jesus' response here, classic. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Just go back to the previous slide there, Justin. Notice here, about, did you, look what the Pharisees are doing here. They're actually twisting Scripture for their own agenda. Did Joseph com- Moses command about divorce, and we jump to the next slide, Jesus saying, oh no, hold up, hold up. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Your hearts were hard. We're going to come back to that, but I want, I want us to zoom in just that language from command to permit. Jesus saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Back up for a second. Moses is saying here in Deuteronomy 24, it's not a command, it's a concession. For Jesus, Divorce is is what the rabbis called a concession command. It's a concession command. The law in Deuteronomy was God's attempt to protect women from abuse in a patriarchal culture. And it was not God's vision for human flourishing. And you notice Jesus' language right there. He's saying, Moses permitted you because your hearts were hard. Hard hearts. What Jesus is really zooming in here is saying, you know, one of the main things a marriage cannot survive is a hard heart. You know, I've seen marriages survive tragedy and loss and chronic illness or a child with special needs. It can even survive something as tragic as an affair if there is a soft heart with repentance and reconciliation, but it cannot survive a heart that is closed off to another and in doing so, is closed off to God. Because the two are intertwined and are closed off to the impulse of the Spirit in your soul is being closed off to love and forgiveness. This is, this is just beautiful, Jesus here saying, hang on, you're reinterpreting God's Word, and then as He does all through the Gospels, He's saying, no, this is the heart of what the law is. This is what the kingdom economy is. It's actually about where your hearts were at. He's exposing their hearts and where their hearts were at in marriage. And then Jesus continues to Matthew 19. 
verse 10 here, the disciples said to him, well, if this is a situation between a husband and a wife, is it better not to marry? Great response, right? <laughs> the Bible's sometimes funny. This is, I think this is a time the Bible's actually being funny. The disciples are like, oh, marriage seems pretty full on and that's a really high bar and to get out of it seems really hard. The disciples are like, well, maybe it's better. Maybe we should stay single. I remember meeting up with a, uh, a young man um, as he got engaged and we, ma- um, we read uh, Tim Keller's meaning, Tim and Kathy Keller's meaning, for meaning of marriage. And I read that book. If you're thinking about marriage or if you are married and you're struggling, I, I think the best Christian book on marriage. Anyway, he'd already proposed. And as we were reading the book, he came to me in one of our coffee catch-ups and said, James, maybe I shouldn't get married. It sounds pretty full on, like it's, it's for life. And I'm like, yes, 22-year-old, it is a big deal. It's not just so you can have sex and, you know, financial quick independence. This is a big deal. And I think this is the right response as we see Jesus raise the bar and say, if this is a situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. And when you begin to grasp the reality and the weight and the beauty of Jesus' vision, this often can be the right response. And for those of you that were here last week, or if you weren't, Matt Sparks laid out for us that the Bible has this radical idea that teaches that a single person can actually flourish and thrive in the kingdom of God. You know, churches, we can often lift up marriage as the end ideal. You know, that, that, is, that is bliss. That is we've made it. We've made it to nirvana and heaven to get married. But it is so much deeper and more complex than that. Now, I want us just to take a pause, take a step back, and I want to close with one final thought here. What is, what is Jesus trying to say here? What, what's, what's he trying to get at? What's his main heart that he's trying to communicate to his followers about his view on marriage? And I think it is this. We should have a slide coming up. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. This is my main idea I just want to exhort to you, impress upon you this morning. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. This is what I think the primary thing Jesus is doing here in his teaching, he's actually raising the stakes of the covenant. He's saying, hey, it's not, not for any and every reason. It's not, we're not going to make divorce easy. We're raising the stakes of the covenant, of the marriage covenant. You see an image coming up here. I got married July 2014. That's my beautiful wife. It was a crisp, cold day. We got married in St. John's in Monavale, beautiful cobblestone. I look so young and more hair. Callan looks very similar. It was a beautiful day, beautiful celebration. But as I have prepared this sermon, I can't help but think about the, the vows I made. And man, when, when you're in them, when you make them, often I remember being in, in my own shoes and me and Callan memorized the vows. But all I was really thinking in that moment was, how can, how can I get these vows out without stuffing up? But man, if I actually slowed down and tried to understand the weights of them, those of you that are married and have made these vows to God, to your friends and family, the weight of the covenant 
that you are making. This isn't a contract. We're going to see. This is, these are the vows I made. I, James, in the presence of God, take you, Callan, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. And this is where we get into covenant. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. This is my solemn vow and promise. There is a weight to this in sickness and in health. If chronic pain comes or an injury comes, no, we, we're not opting out. For richer, for poor, in every season, I am committed to you to love and to cherish as we both shall live. There's no prenup here. There's no out. This is a covenant that I made to be held together by integrity no matter what comes. But I think the dominant view of marriage in the West, including for many of us, is that it's not a covenant but a contract. In a contract, two parties agree on a working relationship as long as it is mutually beneficial. That's what a contract is, mutually beneficial. But in a covenant, you give up your freedom in faith. True freedom in the way of Jesus, true freedom is not the lack of constraint, but rather it is the right kind of constraint that gives us power. You think of the wildness of an ocean trying to capture that but you put dam walls in and you direct the power of that ocean into the right direction it becomes way more effective it can it can power cities and that inside the confines of a covenant we can become the kind of people who are actually free to love and a contract is based on this project self what i want and what i need and a covenant is based on this agape self-giving love that God shows us to put the good of another ahead of your own. A covenant is the one and only relational container that has the strength and the stability to hold the raw power of human sexuality in all of its fierceness, fierceness and all of its fragility. And so much more than just a biological release, it is this one flesh union to hold that power and to transform us. And let me tell you this, in the crucible, and marriage can feel like a crucible, in the crucible of that covenant, of that marriage, do you know what transforms us? This thing happens in us where we go from eros to agape. We move from, from lust to love, from a desire to take from another person to this desire to serve them, from a grasping for control to a surrender to intimate love. And this is why marriage, if you choose that route, and not all of us do, Jesus didn't. But if you do choose it, it will be one of the hardest things that you will do in your life. Finishing where we started, I want to talk about examples of marriage. Uh, one of, as I got older, so I got married in 2014, and I was part of a great church, Narrabeen Baptist. And what, the most dominant and inspiring marriage example I got was one of the elders at the church here. You're going to see a photo come up. Some of you know them. A lot of you won't know. This couple is Neil and Magella McLaughlin. Neil is a good friend. Magella was a good friend. They both poured a lot into my life as a young Christian. Neil was an elder at Narrabeen Baptist. Do you know what? Do you know what, what I want for you guys? Do you know, as your pastor, 
the vision I want for you guys to have in marriage. It's not Homer and Marge or even Jane Austen. I want that, I want that old person love. You know what I mean? That old person love that that's tried and tested. Every season we stake strong and committed and passionate towards one another. Neil and Magella were married for over 30 years, but in 2014, the same year I got married, uh, Magella had an increase of clumsiness and a slurred speech and a loss of balance. In 2016, she was sadly diagnosed with multiple system atrophy, which meant a decline, a degenerative disease of the nervous system, and she slowly lost her physical functions. 2018, she was in a wheelchair, and her husband became her full-time carer. And Magella sadly went to be with Jesus in August 2020. Neil lost every freedom imaginable. If the secular worldview of marriage, every freedom, if there, there was no personal gain for him to stay committed here, he had a decrease of pleasure and he had an increase of costly service. And for the last four years of Magella's life, he was her full-time carer. And let me tell you, no one discipled me and inspired me of what it looks like to be a husband to see Neil, I'd be in his house and Neil would push his wife around and Neil would carry his wife from the bedroom to the bathroom and Neil would make every meal and Neil would, they would still laugh together, but Neil was this agape, self-giving love to her. I spoke with Neil this week, we're still good friends and I asked his permission to share his story and we spoke a bit back and forth. So what would you say, what would you say to a young church young married couples about marriage, about the covenant. And he said two really profound things. The first thing he said is he actually struggles to sit down in watered down wedding ceremonies. He can't do it. He can't do it when when it's just watered down and it's a bit fluffy because he's like, you guys don't know how shallow the commitments you're making, how shallow your commitments come across. There is a gravity for you to say in sickness and in health. And I'm not saying all of us will be struck with the tragedy that happened with Magella, but some of, some of us may. And for us to have the type of container in marriage, the covenant of a container to pursue that. But the most, thing he, the most profound thing he said to me this week is that the covenant, it is all-encompassing. The covenant is all-encompassing. The ups and the downs are momentary, until the end is the main thing, until the very end. And Neil reflects, even in the hardest times, he looks back and he can laugh. And even in the most joyful times now, he can look back and there's still tears and emotion. Anchor Northern Beaches, the, the, the vision Jesus gives us is this, a lifelong covenant. No matter what comes, no matter what health comes, no matter what season comes, I am going to stay committed to you and somewhere along that road we get transformed into a person of agape self-giving love that Neil became and inspired many younger husbands and wives as we close now I went back and forth I kind of rewrote the conclusion a few times 
and just praying and discerning about how to close this this gathering. And I think one of the main things that I want to do this morning for us is I want to pray. We need the Holy Spirit's help. We need Jesus' help to be these kinds of husbands and wives. And I think the main thing that I actually want to pray for everyone in this room, and even if you're listening online, is, is for that hard heart. That hard heart that some of us may have that Jesus spoke about that. And a hard heart that doesn't forgive. A hard heart keeps a record of wrongs. A hard heart sees what is wrong in a spouse. A hard heart is slow to apologize. And so I just want to pray for us now. Um, Those of you that are in marriages, those of you who aren't in marriages, uh, those of you that may have been divorced and this topic is sensitive, I just want to pray and we need the Holy Spirit's help. I can't just say and this will happen for us to get a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. I just want to pray for us now for us to have soft hearts to be the people that would be covenantal agape love to one another. So just close your eyes and if you're yeah, feeling comfortable even just to open a hand, a posture of receiving. And let me just pray for all of us now. Oh, Jesus, we need your help. Jesus, thank you for your vision. Thank you for modeling covenantal agape love that you say, John 3, 16, that God so loved the world, you so loved us, that word agape, you so loved us that you sent sacrificially your one and only son. So thank you for that model. And Holy Spirit, right now, I just want to pray for a softening of hard hearts. Lord, for anyone in this room that has a hard heart now that is struggling to forgive, struggling to say sorry, struggling to see the good in a spouse or a former spouse, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would come and just drop now into our hearts and soften, that you would turn hearts of stone into a heart of flesh. We need your help, Holy Spirit, so I pray now that you would, um, you would transform, you would radically overhaul what our vision is of a marriage. And that this place, Anchor Beaches, would be a place that people would see marriages here through every season and be reminded of your commitment and covenant towards us. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.